time is it? It's Welcome to the Clean Comedy Time Podcast. I'm Aaron Sorrells. And I'm Brian Atkinson. Today, our guest is Rick Roberts. Rick Roberts is a corporate entertainer and keynote speaker, a Barney Fife tribute actor, and comedian's mentor with over 250 episodes in his School of Laughs podcast. We're going to talk with him about the good, the bad, and the funny. Recently, my wife has started talking about adoption. I'm like, honey, slow down. I don't think anybody is going to take these kids off our hands at this point. Put them on Craigslist, see if you get a nibble. I don't know how it works. Start with that little one. I barely know her anyway. (laughs) We just sent in our final house payment, so I wanted to say that out loud and share it with some folks out there. Thank you. I'm really excited. It's not paid off. That's just the final payment we intend to send in. It's a... It was adjustable, so we made it zero more payments, and uh, now I've got financial peace, so I'm excited about that. (laughs) Rick Roberts, welcome to the Clean Comedy Time podcast. We are delighted to have you here. Hey, good to be here. Thanks, fellas. I second that, Rick. Rick, we are so excited. This is going to be a good conversation. Yeah, it should be good. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, uh, Rick, let's let's dive right into comedy. Uh, I, I think just... As we uh, talk with other comics around the country in different parts, uh, I always like to start with, you know, so why why did you start doing comedy? What was the point of that? Well, that's a great question. And I'm still not sure of the answer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, long- I didn't ask, why are you still doing it? Yeah, that's even a better question. <laughs> why did you? Yeah, that. Yeah. Why did you start, though? What was the. Who hurt you? Well, you going to show me you know, on the puppet? Because yeah. I don't know. You know, it's funny. When I was a kid, I really liked stand-up comedy. I remember the uh, comics who performed in Lexington at one of the, the clubs there would always come on the rock and roll station at, on Thursday mornings when I was getting ready for school. And I'd always kind of flip over to make sure I didn't miss them. And sometimes they would play clips from Carlin and whatever was uh, clean enough to play on the radio back at that time. And I always listened to it. I, sometimes I would record it with my little cassette recorder and come back home and listen to it again. But I, I never thought that you could do comedy. I just thought they were comedians that were like either born into showbiz families or they lived <laughs> in big cities or whatever. I didn't know you could actually go learn it. Then, uh, you know, in high school, I did everything I could that was anything creative or funny. And same thing in college. When I got out of college is when I kind of all of a sudden was working a regular job. I didn't have a creative outlet. And I started looking through the newspaper for something to go do. And I saw a a listing for an open stage night, which I thought meant the same thing as what we did in college, which was, you know, poetry reading or just character pieces or whatever, or play the guitar. I didn't even think about stand up. So I went there and signed up. And only after I went up first in a comedy competition, which I didn't know it was, (laughs) because it was at this restaurant, and the guy never said comedy. Uh, I played three songs and people just stared at me. I got done. <laughs> and the guy's like, didn't you know this is a comedy competition? I'm like, uh, no. And then I, I just grabbed my guitar and ran out to my truck. And luckily for me, two guys came out who later became a, a new roommates in, huh. in Columbus, Ohio. But they came oh. out and they're like, hey, man, was that some kind of Andy Kaufman bit you were doing? Like, <laughs> you were brave. I'm like, no, I'm stupid. I didn't know it was comedy. <laughs> then they go you ought to come back in there's a, you know there'll be 20 more comics going up and it gets it's a competition that's been going on for a couple of months so each week you get votes 
from the audience and the people with the most votes go on at the end. So the show's going to get funnier as it goes. You should just stick around and watch. Plus, you get two free drinks or a hoagie for going on stage. <laughs> hey. So if you're not coming back in, can we split the drinks or have your hoagie? And I said, I'm going to for the hoagie. <laughs> so that was the beginning. I went in and the show did get funnier as it went. Uh, some of the comics towards the end had already been on the road for, you know, eight, ten years. They were headlining. They were had been on evening at the improv, different things like that. So mm. they were just they were working on new material at this comedy competition. But there was a you know, fifty percent of it was comics that were brand new less than a year into it. And at the end of the night, you know, I watched it all when we all went back on stage. I ended up getting like five or ten votes or something. <laughs> so I'm like, well I guess I gotta come back next week and see if I can get more and I get to go a little bit later in the show. So the crowd was warmed up a little bit more and I knew it was comedy the second time. And <laughs> that's always helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I, I won't say that it got better every single time, but over time it got better. And yeah. after a year I had uh 20 minutes and I quit and went full time. And that was in 92. Wow. Yeah. That's, so, that's uh, a great transition. That's a, that is an amazing transition. I'm just flinching at the, you had 20 minutes. So you went full time. Yes, I went um, – well, it was a combination of things that allowed me to go full-time. So I had 20 minutes of stand-up, and about six or eight months into it, I had joined an improvisational comedy troupe. Oh, okay. And they, at that time, needed somebody that was uh, funny and could play guitar, and I was sort of both, not great <laughs> at either. But I, you checked both of the boxes as far as they were concerned. I checked okay. both of the boxes and 150 bucks a week sounded like enough to quit my job that paid much more than that. But I didn't have very many expenses back then. 450 yeah. bucks a month was all I had to make uh, to oh. pay off my student loan, my truck, and my apartment. It was like 150 for each of those things. So yeah. I'm like, if I could work three weeks with these guys, maybe get a week of my own doing MC work, then I'll be covered for the month. And uh you know, totally forgot all about insurance and all those kinds yeah. of things. But I'm like, you know what? I'm 22. If I don't yeah. do it now, when will I do it? Oh, yeah. Uh, there, there are those moments that um, when I hear those kinds of stories, I say, well, of course you could. Um, for my 50th birthday, my wife got me the uh, Steve Martin masterclass mm -hmm. um, thing. And I'd kind of wanted to do comedy and I'd worked in radio and done a lot of other things for years. Uh, and so it was this yeah, I'm actually going to do this now. But of course, by the time I did it, you know, well, I'm 50. It's not like I'm going to quit my job next week and, you know, get tw get 20 minutes and then quit my job. Uh, yeah, that's, right. that wasn't going to happen. Um, and and I was so confident I uh, left my job uh, a year before I started comedy. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You got your Just, website two years before right? you started. Just so you can be jobs. the unemployed alcoholic. That's, right, that was, right. it was brilliant timing, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rick, so uh, that – that's an amazing story. Uh, I love hearing those kinds of things. Um, so you said that was in 1990. Yeah, I think 90 is when I graduated from okay. uh, college and the next spring is when I did my first stand up. So I think it's 92 and I start, went full time. Okay. So we're roughly 30 years later. Sorry. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> every once every once in a while i i meet somebody who's uh you know like a celebrity who, who was a celebrity when i was a kid and i say i used to listen to you when i was a kid i'm really sorry right. um <laughs> but uh so here here we are 30 years later um so uh i said when i introduced you a corporate entertainer you're a comedian 
you're a comedian's comedian. You're you do a lot of corporate work. You you you're a movie star now. Um, so give us a snapshot of okay. So that was thirty years ago. Uh, still working that same twenty minutes or. <laughs> Boy, if I could remember it, I'd put it right in. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess, you know, what's, what's changed over 30 years or what's it like now? Um, you know, the first 10 years solid was all comedy clubs. And and then when the, the off nights, I would go find comedy. So I have I was pretty meticulous early on at keeping track of how much time I did and how many shows and all that kind of stuff. And I know the first... 10 years, I was averaging at least 350 to 425 shows a year. Wow. You you know, two shows Friday, three shows Saturday and Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff with open mics and everything I could in between. So the, the one thing I'll say is the first decade I was just relentless on getting stage time so I could get every experience I could. Uh, you know, I would take gigs monetarily. It didn't make sense. I would travel further than I should. Sometimes I would Mm. get lucky and get a gig that, was above where I was, I, you know, if a club wanted me to, you know, a lot of clubs would want me to MC even when I was featuring or starting the headline because there weren't very many good MCs. And if they had a big show, they would call me in on the off night or like new years and things like that. They're like, man, can we just put you on this show and you can jumpstart the crowd and we know it'll run smooth. So a lot of what I learned the first decade was that I was maybe funny, but I was dependable and the club knew that I took it serious and I was professional about it. So if they, if they hired me, I would do the job. And if, if I was extra funny on top of that, great. If I was just funny, that was fine. Mm. And if I was easy to work with all the better, I would get more work. So I, I tried to work on my people skills as much as my comedy skills. Uh, I'm sure I fell flat a lot, but looking back, that was, that was the one thing that compared to most comics, the first 10 years in, I maybe had an advantage of yeah. you know, a little bit more organized in some ways. Yeah, my my own experience in um, whether it's in comedy or uh, just you know performing on stage or a variety of other things or day jobs, everything is: are you dependable? Are you easy to work with? Um, and then everything else is, you know, what's in the moment and what have you prepared for? And mm-hmm. um, I, I think that is such a wise wise advice to to give uh, young comedians starting out. And you do a lot of advice for comics as they're starting out. Um, the uh, School of Laughs podcast. I mentioned that earlier. Um, you've been doing that for a while too. Yeah, I think it started in 2014, and for the first two or three years, I mean, it was every single week. Which um, I'm not even sure how I did that. Yeah. Looking back, um, it was just crazy. But that's that's what I was doing, and then I, I, it's every other week now, which gives me more time to find uh, guests that I haven't had yet, <laughs> yep. and also to to keep my my road schedules is busier than it's ever been. So it's been harder to find the time to do it. Mm. So it's, it's more fair to the audience and me to do it every other week now, but yeah. I still enjoy, I still learn something every time I do one. And especially lately, I have fun interviewing students or people that I've mentored and, and talking about their success. That's been the fun part of the, the more recent 50 to a hundred episodes. Yeah, and I, I can speak to the value of that podcast because, of course, when I uh, first realized that I was signed up to do comedy and I had no idea how to do it, <laughs> you know, your podcast is the one that I sought out and just started listening to episode after episode and just frantically scribbling notes and uh, and all that. And, and of course, uh, you know, as you know, Rick, but uh, a lot of listeners probably don't know, 
um, that came full circle at my first time ever doing comedy when uh, you showed up wearing a name tag, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which yeah. is good because I had heard your voice, but I had never met you. I had never, uh, you know, we had never talked as you were just some voice on the, on the podcast there. And then all of a sudden you show up at the show wearing a Rick Roberts name tag. <laughs> which I wear to all my shows, by the way. Yeah, of course. Yeah. We should, we should tell them it was a, it was a comedy festival. So I had the name tag on so I could get into the show, but yeah. I, never, <laughs> I don't know. I just assumed you always wore a name tag. <laughs> there you are. That's, that, that's how unknown I am. I'll make sure everybody at least learn my name. <laughs> you yeah. get home and your wife's like, hello. Yeah, oh, no, the tag falls off. And it's like yeah. a new guy walked in. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah, that that was that was a just an incredibly special night, though, Rick. You know the the fact that you know you unknowingly uh, mentored me through how to do comedy, and then for you to show up, and you know we had a brief conversation, and then and then we sat together during the show, and and you gave me some uh, critique points and some very positive feedback after after the set. I mean that was. That that was one of those moments that I think back on as a turtle on a fence post moment. You know, you were you were somebody that was placed into into my path into my life. So I appreciate you, and uh, I strongly endorse uh, the School of Laughs podcast. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that was kind of a especially fun night, just in general. But yeah, knowing that you were listening to the podcast, I'm like, oh, cool. And then I'm like, oh, I got to do a set. I better not suck, or he'll not listen to the podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but the audience was great for everybody that night, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a special night. <laughs> yeah. Rick, one of the things that uh, I have noticed in your podcast and I've noticed in you know things like on your website and just in the, the years that I've been following you and conversations with Aaron is um, you know, I like to say, you know, well, you're absolutely a comedian, but uh, a lot of corporate uh, work as well. Um, and I think one of the phrases that you use that I hope you take pride in this because I take pride in you doing it. And I always think to myself, this is a goal for me is to be the one who changes the temperature in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. For anybody doesn't know what that means. It's just, it's like when you step on stage, is there a, a noticeable difference by the time you get off stage or did you just kind of keep it at the level where it was? And you can do that with energy. You can do that with better jokes. I can do it with quicker delivery, less words, anything like that. But, you know, at the end of the night, when people think back on the show, do you stand out as somebody that, that changed the dynamic in the room mm -hmm. uh, while you're on stage? And that's the goal. It's not always uh, the result. And in some rooms, the temperature is the same no matter what. Mm -hmm. But in, in general, that's my goal is to, you know, take it up a notch. And, yeah. and if there's a comic after me, to give them a great place to start off. Yeah. Thank you, Rick. Uh, the, the phrase change the temperature in the room is one that I locked onto the first time I, I heard you say it in a podcast. And, um, and then I, uh, just some of those things that I've experienced from your work and the, the mentoring that you give through that podcast, I applied it immediately to a, um, uh, I was looking at kind of doing a first corporate gig and I had kind of talked through in my own mind of these are the things I need to check off. And then you happened to do an episode where you talked about, make sure you do this, this, and this. And they were things like, make sure they're not eating while you're trying to do comedy, make sure that everything, the dishes are cleared away and the servers aren't trying to serve things and so on. And, um, 
talked about the energy that you bring to the stage and it completely changed the way I approached my first, um, corporate Christmas party and it absolutely worked. Um, right. And, and so that was tremendously helpful. And then, uh, a, a, a year or so later, I did another corporate Christmas party, went through the same checklist with them. And then, uh, when we got there the night of, um, and I, I've told the story on the podcast before they, uh, I told them, okay, you're going to get up there. You're going to m- make some announcements, get people paying attention to you. And then you're going to introduce me. And they're like, yep, that's what we're doing. And we had talked about bars going to be closed. The everything's going to be taken away. They're not going to be clinking things together. Yep. Yep. That's what we're going to do. And so they, okay, it's announcements, announcements. And now we're going to have a comedian come up. Uh, oh, but before he does uh last call on the bar, we're going to close that here in a minute. <laughs> uh, there's dessert at the buffet. Yeah. Uh, and have a good night. Here's Brian. And yeah. <laughs> and then they're all gone. <laughs> and uh, the temperature in the room <laughs> changed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I've laughed at that ever. I mean, I kind of have to laugh at it as I've laughed at it ever since of like, I, I wanted to change the temperature in the room and I, I brought energy and I did it and it just, they all left. <laughs> yeah. I had something similar happened at a big event a couple of years ago where I, we went over every single detail and I was talking to the CEO and then he got a phone call. I had to leave the room and the CFO, the financial officer came up and said, all right, we've got 10 minutes left to bid on all the silent auction items around the outside of the room and the bars outside in the hallway. And here's our comedian. Yeah. Rick, are you in the room? <laughs> and it was just brutal for 20 minutes. Yeah. Just brutal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the thing that's been observed before is, um, people who don't produce comedy shows or aren't accustomed to that. Our job as a comedian is to help them plan the event, to help them understand how to have a successful event. Uh, that is a major thing that I learned from you because prior to listening to you, I would have just said, my job is to go up there and be funny. Right. And and that's part of it, but you, you're going to be a lot more successful and they're going to have a great time and they're going to, hire you or even, you know, hire some, hire another comedian someday. Um, if, if it's a, an extraordinary event. Uh, so, uh, thank you for uh, your mentoring in that respect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes we, we don't know what we should do. And then, then we learn that what we should do. And sometimes it still doesn't happen anyway. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I, I want to change gears just a little bit, uh, cause I understand you're also kind of a, a big fan of, um, some popular music. I have nothing against like Taylor Swift, but all I know from listening to her songs is she's angry, isn't she? <laughs> she's got 16 different songs about breaking up with boyfriends. I'm told my wife after 16, the problem's probably her. <laughs> 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 Come on now. I mean, could you imagine being a guy dating her? You know the relationship's going to end because they all have. <laughs> the whole time you're just thinking, what does my name rhyme with? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Rick, what does your name rhyme with? <laughs> Good luck with Roberts. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Uh, yeah, m- mine's easy. Brian, uh, you know. It, oh, you're you know. lying, Brian, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And then she's crying, yeah. and then I was, your house is crying. Yeah, I was doomed. Doomed immediately uh, is never going to be Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Um, 
I think that actually triggered my wife a little bit. She and I got married a little later on in life. So she's got a real soft spot for people who are single for a long time. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so that's a, a more topical. Um, so you're the first bit that we heard from you, you were talking about um, uh, family. You talked about your kids a little bit. Uh, this this one shifted gears. You're a little more uh, topical of, of things going on, um, you know, just in culture. Is Is there a particular area that you feel like this is the thing I do best, or this is this is my signature type of material, or the things that you enjoy writing with. You know, it's, that's a good question. I like to do a little bit of of a couple of approaches. One, I'm always trying to develop content that's uh, everlasting, evergreen, that's you know suitable mm-hmm. for all audiences everywhere, all the time, because those are real cornerstones of your act, and those are great pieces to put in videos, uh, demos and stuff when you send to clients. Cause it's not based on pop culture or something that's already off the news or dated. So always trying to write that kind of stuff. I, I always try to write family things about where my family is currently. So if let's say you came to see my show this week and then you came in a year, uh, you know, this week I'm talking about my son being 15 and afraid to drive cause he thinks he's going to He's going to have a head-on collision with a job or something at the other <laughs> end of the route. But next year it'll be maybe we're visiting colleges and stuff. So there'll be a, the family jokes are I try to tune them in, you know, every six months or, or more frequently if I can of what's going on right now. And then topical stuff, if there's just relentless news coverage on a subject or a very obscure story in the news that I think is interesting, I'll try to pop those into the show and just – knowing that they're going to have a limited shelf life. But in that section, I'll, you know, if it's 15 minutes of my act, I'll, you know, in TV, they call it a refillable segment. And even in radio, you may know that term, Brian. Mm-hmm. But so in, you know, three months, four months, that's a refillable section of my show. And I'm going to put in new content in there. And it's just always going to be rotating. So, you know, if I do those three things correctly and I stay on top of it, then the audiences always have something fresh and topical. They know who I am and who my family is. And then I've also got some bedrock uh, cornerstone material that, you know, maybe they saw in the video and they wanted to see when they hired me. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about your family a little bit more. You mentioned your, your son, he's 15. Uh, mm-hmm. He's, he's going to be dri- driving. Uh, I always say that kids are driving cause I don't know when, when that happens and stuff. I don't know how it works. Um, but yeah, you and your wife, uh, you have one son or I, in my head, you've got 12 kids. I don't remember what it is. I've got a 15 year old son and a nine year old daughter. Okay. And, um, what, what's the, you know, I, I know there's fatherly things and, and then just, you know, parenting things and just observations of the kids and stuff. What's, what's something that's really standing out right now? Maybe you haven't written the bit about it yet, but what's, where, where's your mind with them at the moment? Oh, like with my nine-year-old. So she's very sneaky. She's, she's a lot like I was. (laughs) And so uh, just last night, and I want to write a joke about this. I haven't thought it through yet but she will borrow my wife's phone sometimes as a time killer and, and sometimes she'll get on instagram and just make filters and things on her face or whatever but the other day she she started texting my son from my wife's phone saying oh boy uh did you know that you're adopted and we're thinking about putting <laughs> you back up <laughs> and my son was sitting next to my wife upstairs so he knew it wasn't um you know, yeah. mom texted him, but so we just, yeah. he automatically knew it was ginger. And then he, I'm not sure what he fired back at her, but the joke I think will be him, him 
giving her some information. Sure. So we're both adopted. <laughs> right, right. Yes, that makes two of us. <laughs> they they finally told you, yeah. Oh, yeah, so that's maybe fun. he'll text back a picture of what her 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 real mom looks like or her real dad or something. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy from there. But the fact that she thought to do that, I think, is yeah. hilarious. She's got a future. But yeah. it's also very mean. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so she's she's got the comedian uh genes already. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh now I also know that um you know that your son uh, at 15, uh, he's been, uh, you know, kind of already thinking about uh, what he wants for Christmas. One night I'm tucking my boy into bed. I'm like, hey, buddy, hope you have sweet dreams. He looks up and he goes, I hope you're still breathing when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> I'm like, what do you know that I don't know? <laughs> Mama switching my pills when I'm gone. What's going on? <laughs> I was awake the next morning. I didn't sleep a wink. <laughs> I said, what do you want for Christmas coming up? He's like, oh, I need to get me an iPad Air 64 gigabytes with a built-in Wi-Fi plan. I'm like, well, you don't get one until I get one. <laughs> I said, something else. He goes, how about an iPhone? I'm like, dude, you're 12. You need to go outside and learn how to play with a stick. Right? <laughs> That's what I did growing up. Get you a wireless stick and see how that works out. <laughs> 64 hickory nuts or something like that. <laughs> so he went outside, got a stick. Five minutes later, I hear a scream, poked himself in the face. <laughs> We had to get him an eye patch. <laughs> that joke easily divides the crowd. Some people like it. Some people like it. That's a long way to go for that one. I played that clip for my wife earlier, and she laughed out loud at the eye patch. So, uh, oh, great, great. Yeah, yeah. So that, I'm surprised they laughed. Like the thing about that joke is, when I say he poked himself in the eye, that was a setup for the eye patch. But people laughed at the fact that he poked himself in the eye. So sure. The audience is meaner than sure. I am. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I, kids are mean, the audience is mean, and and all of us are a little bit mean there, I suppose. Right. I, uh, I, I heard you during that set, actually right around where you're talking about, where you weren't anticipating the laugh, and you like started to jump into the next tag, and the audience laughed, and you, you immediately stopped and let them have that laugh, and then jumped right back into it. That's <laughs> yeah, good crowd awareness. <laughs> well, thanks. And I tell you, there's so much... Um, opportunity if you if you listen and and that show i was recording my set so i probably didn't pause as, as long as i would have in a normal situation but uh, a long time ago and even today I'm, I'm faster on stage than i need to be sometimes i think the audience misses what i'm saying not that they don't get it they just don't understand what i'm saying because i'm talking too fast and maybe 12 years into comedy a comedian challenged me one weekend to slow down to, he said you know in your mind slow down 50 percent because you hmm. should be getting applause breaks on some of these bits, but you're not giving the audience a chance. Wow. You should be getting laughs in some places and you're not. And at first I was like, no, man, because I, I thought the other comedian who was, he, I was featuring, he was headlining. I thought he was trying to get me to not have a great show. <laughs> he was really being genuine. <laughs> and so the, the first show Friday, I really slowed it down, like maybe 25%. And he was right. I started getting laughs where I knew there should be, but I never gave the audience a chance. And I had, I mean, it was a crazy amount of applause breaks where I had none. Mm. And so from that point on, and, and the way he phrased it was, you're having a conversation with the audience and you're cutting them off when they're trying to respond to what you're saying. You need to let them do their part so that mm. they stay engaged. Yeah. And I'm like, man, that's great, great tip. Yeah. I've tried, tried to keep that in my mind ever since. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense that you would have a good command of that. Because uh, I, actually, I remember one of your podcast episodes, I think you were talking with uh, Dusty Slay. 
And you were talking about that hand movement that he does at the end of all of his tags that that just stops everything and, and triggers the audience to laugh. And, you know, it's it's amazing how if you if people can just stop and have that two way conversation with the audience, it works out a lot better. Yeah, sure does. For me, it's always uh, George Burns and his cigar. It was <laughs> it was the applause yeah. light. It was he would deliver his setup and punch. And then he would take a puff on the cigar. The end of it would illuminate. And it was the thing that told the audience, you laugh now. And Yeah, um, I mean, you can go down the list of comics. Like, So, you know, I think Bob Hope was the extreme example of he would just lean forward until you laughed and wouldn't say yep. nothing else until you did. <laughs> yep. Ron White will take a drink of his whiskey yes. or bourbon. Mm-hmm. Um, if you watch Dave Chappelle... He'll take the microphone and slap it against his leg and pretend yep. that he just cracked himself up, and he'll get an extra twenty seconds. <laughs> uh, so well, there's, you need a, there's less a material lot of... when you when you have that kind of signal because you get more laughs, so it's less t- time you have to spend talking. Really? Yeah, I mean that's also part of the equation. You know, there's there's one school of thought where uh, you know you should be talking for thirty minutes in a sixty minute show, and they should be laughing for thirty. And I don't mm. know too many comics that can pull that off. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah but that's there are a high bar. Like, it's yes, good to have if you look at Stephen Wright or Mitch Hedberg back in the day, yeah. I think they probably could, but whew, boy, that's a lot of demand on the audience. You have to mm-hmm. be super strong. We can aspire I, to that. Yeah, I but, just yeah, rewatched Stephen Wright's first appearance on the Johnny Carson show. Yeah, on I just the saw Tonight it the show. other day. Yeah. And oh my goodness. Um I mean, I I saw him do, you know, specials in the in the eighties and evening at the improv and uh, probably an HBO special or something. And it's it's the pause. It's the, allowing the audience to figure out what you've said and and enjoy that laugh and and let it go. Uh, and he he definitely didn't step on the next thing, right? And with him especially. And if you get a chance and you're listening to this and you haven't seen the thing, just pull it up on YouTube. You know, his first four or five jokes, the audience is trying to figure out who he is, which yeah. is true of all of us. But about a minute, minute and a half in, they get it that he's different. And they applaud mm. almost everything he says from there on. And you can tell yeah. he's even surprised at how quickly they came on board. And then yeah. even Johnny Carson, you know, said, you know, that was incredible. And he's like, what do you, what do you think right now? And he's like, I'm stunned. Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, just, I didn't expect it to be like exactly like that. It was more than I expected. Yeah. But here's the thing with Stephen Wright. So he has to pause because what he's doing are either word problems or visual images. And so you have to have time to, to get what he's saying and then create your image of what he's drawing. And so mm. that's very important if, you know, all of us have jokes, have visual images in the punchline. It may not be every single joke, but when we do, we need to give the audience a little extra time to process that and produce that image. Because when they do that, they're going to produce it differently. All 300 people or a thousand people in the audience, and they're going to produce it the way that's the funniest to them because they're in a comedy show situation. So you get these ripple laughs. And sometimes you get that laugh after everybody else has done laughing because they just finally processed it yeah. and it took them an extra time. <laughs> so in those situations with visuals as a punchline, you definitely need to slow down and give them the opportunity to Absolutely. figure it out. I, I told my wife about this probably, I don't know, uh, a month or so into um, doing open mics and things like that. Uh, I finally had gotten in front of enough people where that happened. Um, you know, when you have four people in the room, 
and they are the other comics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you're not you're not going to get laughs like you, it's a it's stage time. It's practice. That's what it is. But to actually get those reactions. And I said so it's almost like watching the wave at a ball game where yeah. they get it over here and it kind of moves across and then somebody else gets it and it moves across and and it's infectious. And um, it, it was like uh you know, watching a wave or I was picturing it like you've seen a flock of starlings fill the sky and they wave all over the place. And that's what the laugh was like uh, visually for me in my head. And uh, um, like that is what I want to do all the time. And some of right. it's some of it's the size of the audience, but it's also, as you said, you, you got to give them a chance to to figure it out. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier uh, about Taylor Swift. I'm going to change Taylor's on you, uh, and, uh, pivot to Andy Taylor, because I said earlier tonight, you're a, uh, Barney Fife tribute actor. And I said, you're a movie star. There's a new movie out there. Um, it's in limited release. Uh, you can find it. Uh, you can see all uh, kinds of trailers and stuff called Mayberry man. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So this is a, a fun movie. If you're an Andy Griffith Show fan, it'll be extremely fun for you. If you're not a fan of the show or have never seen it, you'll you can still watch it and enjoy it. But basically, the the concept of the movie or the the plot is a a cocky Hollywood actor gets pulled over in Georgia for speeding, and it turns out the judge is a tribute artist at a Mayberry Festival. And if, after kind of reading this guy's character, he he realizes that instead of putting him in jail for the night or finding him a certain amount of money that he should slow down and attend this festival and learn how to treat people better. And so he's sentenced to a weekend at this Mayberry festival. And so at the festival, there's all these different impersonators of characters from the Andy Griffith show. I'm the Barney Fife impersonator. We've got a, a great Floyd impersonator named Alan mm-hmm. Newsom. We've got a Gomer and a Goober and Ernest T. Bass and a Otis and the fun girls and a couple others. But the the main character encounters each of us, and we're really in the spirit of Mayberry. We're trying to help him, you know, do this and help him slow down and see things differently. And and he meets a girl there who tries to do the same thing, and then she finds out that he was sentenced to be there. He didn't want to be there, and he loses the girl and uh, has to deal with that. But the whole thing is it's a ton of fun. There's a million references to the different episodes of the Andy Griffith Show and oh, things sure. in there. Um, as my character gets to go through a uh, I foil a car robbery, just like Barney <laughs> Fife would have. And the, the other tribute artists and the main character are like, hey, man, the guy's still in a car. You ought to stop him. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not really a cop. My name is Warren. You know? <laughs> and they're like, what would Barney do? And then I get all, well, I guess Whoa. I can take it from here. you know. Yeah. And so uh, just like how Barney Fife would stumble into success, I do that with stopping these car thieves. And we, you know, awesome. it's just, it, you know, I've got other scenes in the movie, but that one's a real crowd yeah. favorite, probably because it's, it's a night scene and it's almost black and white in the way mm. that it's shot. So it huh. really feels like an episode of the Andy Griffith show when it's oh, happening. Sure. But it's available on Amazon prime. Uh, mm-hmm. You can buy it or download it there. And yes, it's in some theaters across the country. You can look it up at mayberrymanmovie.com and it'll have any of the theaters uh, that it's appearing at listed, or you can even request it to be at one of your local theaters. And if they get enough requests in that area, they can make it happen sure. there. Uh, that's, it's tremendous. Um, knowing and, and seeing some of the things that you've done over the, the years that I've followed you, uh, of how you inhabit the character of Barney Fife, 
uh, I, I do a number of different voices and I always thought I did a pretty good Barney Fife voice. And then I saw you and I'm like, well, I'm done with that now. <laughs> um, and, but t- tell us a little bit up about how you went from, you figured out that you could do a Barney Fife character and not just the voice, but mannerisms, facial expressions. Uh, how, how'd you go about building that? And did you carry a single bullet in your uh, breast pocket? <laughs> Yes, I'll start with the last question because I'll probably forget it if I don't. Okay. <laughs> uh, I used to carry a real bullet, and then after nine eleven, that got confiscated. And I, I used to carry a fake gun, and they they stopped oh, allowing me to carry that on the plane, so I have to check a yeah. fake gun. So it, that's been. Do you a have any hassle. firearms? Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. But, um, Not real ones. <laughs> right. The the way I got into it, I mentioned that improv group that I worked with, uh, Midwest Comedy Tool and Die, back in the early nineties. So, you know, we would do a 90-minute show at comedy clubs, and we'd have 12 to 15 scenes in that show. And one of the scenes was a, a parody of an old game show called The Liars Club where oh. um, a celebrity would come on and, and lie about different objects that the audience passed up to the stage or whatever. So they said, you know, to be in that scene, you need to be a movie star. So, you know, we just can't put a regular guy in the middle of these other two. There was, like, the other guys were Pee Wee Herman and uh, – whatever president was at the time, you know, just famous people. So I looked through the prop bag one night and saw a hat that kind of looked like a, it was a bus driver's hat, but I thought if I throw this on and act like Barney Fife, maybe I'll get a laugh. And the the very first night, I'm sure it was horrible, but it it still got a really big response from the crowd. And the rest of the guys in the group were like, man, uh, you should work on that. You know, I had one little Mm -hmm. joke in my standup about Barney Fife. So I had a little bit of the voice, but once I got the the response from the audience in character, I started to put together a better uniform and a hat and oh. cut to about a year later, I get hired by Wendy's to go in and arrest Dave Thomas the founder <laughs> on his birthday. <laughs> and they helped me get a couple pieces of uniform together. And, and at, at his birthday party, I can't remember how old he was. It was probably three or four years before he passed away. Hmm. Um, I go in there and do the Barney five thing. It's only supposed to take three or four minutes. And then as soon as I get done arresting him and reading out his, citations for working too hard and all this other stuff uh he said come on over here and sit down for a minute and we sat there for 45 minutes at least oh. maybe an hour and he just talked about the andy griffith show nonstop and how much he loved it and you know he was talking to me sometimes like i was the real barney fife like he just was so in the the moment with it wow and then he looked up and realized how much time had passed. He goes, oh, my wife's over there. Like, I need to talk to these people that came to my birthday party. So <laughs> we got to wrap it up. But the last thing he said was, you need to put a website together. And this was probably 95 at the latest, yeah. maybe 93 at the earliest. Very early And let web. people know you do this so they can hire you. And I'm like, well, Dave Thomas knows a thing or two about business. I ought to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, put together a website called Fife is My Life and became searchable. And, you know, fast wow. forward to almost 30 years after that and somebody else was searching the internet to find a Barney Fife character for this uh, movie and they saw some of the videos I'd done which I guess is my biggest tip of all this is if if you're funny doing something off stage put it up on YouTube because somebody might hire you to do that somewhere else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's precisely what happened I, I've done a real men of genius Bud Light parody of uh, remember those Remember those that whole campaign, the real men of genius? <laughs> and so mine was Mr. Barney Fife impersonator. And I shot that, <laughs> did some impressions and stuff in it. And that's that's what he found when he searched and cast me in the movie. So Oh, nice. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, oh, that is tremendous. Uh thank you for all of that. Uh I'm gonna just take us to one last question here. 
be- before we uh, kind of switch gears with uh, Aaron's uh, other half here. Um, and this may be obvious to a lot of people. Uh, it's the Clean Comedy Time podcast. We bring uh, comedians together performing clean material um, uh, and clean comedians who only work clean. I'm, I'm a comedian who only works clean. Aaron is mostly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he does use the word alcoholic. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, the question is, so why clean? Part of it, part of it's my brain, my upbringing, even though, um, you know, I was raised a Christian, I would say I had a good decade where I was, you wouldn't have known that. But when I was on stage, it's funny, anything I did that wasn't clean, the audience didn't respond to as well. Yeah. I mean, almost from the very beginning. And so I just kind of wrote what worked. And then it wasn't too long after that, maybe four or five years that I realized that there weren't as many, if any, in the, in the comedy club scenes that worked completely clean. Yep. And it, it made me really bookable for even when the headliners were filthy and I was emceeing, they would rather have a clean MC so that the headliner had something different yeah. by the time they got up there. Somewhere to go. Yeah. I mean, obviously yeah. their skill level would be great and better, but content wise, they didn't want anything stepped on or mm-hmm. stepped in. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And so I, I just I think it was probably seven years in where I got hired to do a whole month in uh, Birmingham at the Stardome. It's like 450, 550-seat theater. And the reason they hired me for the whole month of December was they were bringing in all these extra Christmas parties. And I would get a little extra money in the afternoon or they would send me somewhere around town to do a party. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And it was that year that I realized, oh, that's like my – I don't think I knew the term back then, but it, that was my uh, – the thing that made me different. I can't even think of the word I'm trying to use. My distinctive <laughs> qualifying differentiation differentiator. Yeah. And from that point on, I mean, as soon as January kicked in, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take one week off every month and see if I could find a corporate event. And sure yeah. enough, after a year, I'm like, I'll take two weeks off of the clubs. And if I could just do one corporate event in that week, it'll be twice as much as I'm getting paid to do a whole week at a club. Right. And that's about the same time I got married. And I'm like, it's not fair for me to be gone every single week, Tuesday through Sunday. It's ridiculous. I didn't know any comedians who did that and their marriage lasted. So, yeah, you know, it was, it was two weeks out, two weeks corporate. And then, it, you know, when I had my kid, my first son, my only son in 2005, yeah. I'm like, you know what? I don't need to do any comedy clubs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're fun in some ways. They're not fun in some other ways, but <clears throat> there's enough corporate work to where I can do that and not be gone all the time. So yeah. that's, the long answer to why clean, but it just made sense. It's, it's in high demand. I mean, I'm, I'm doing more shows since I would say June, once everybody was vaccinated and cleared and things kicked back in, Mm -hmm. it's been the busiest year I've had in a long time because people are itching to get out there, but they're, they're hiring these corporate events are always hiring clean. Yeah. And, and the other thing is I know a lot of comics who can work clean and do work clean, but they hate doing corporate events and that's fine. That's more for me to do. But, (laughs) Um, but I enjoy it. I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy learning about companies. I did a show two nights ago for a, a company called Dauntless Air, and their whole thing is their pilots and aircraft that put out all the forest fires around the country. Mm. And so I had more fun. I mean, the show was fun, and they were into it. But the hour and a half afterwards, where I was just hearing their stories and how they got into it, to me, that's a fascinating way to 
to spend my time as opposed to sitting at a comedy club after the show's done and just seeing who's going to fall off the bar stool first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the time has come on our little podcast to take a break, but we'll be right back. Be sure to give us a review on Apple Podcasts so it's easier for people to find us and like us on all your podcast favorites. We'll be right back. Thanks to all of you for listening to the Clean Comedy Time podcast. Yes, thank you. We so appreciate you letting us and our incredible guests share the good, the bad, and the funny. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd like to hear from you. Please leave us a five-star rating and a short review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Or you can now send us a voice message through Anchor, and we might just play it on an upcoming episode. To send us a voice message, go to anchor.fm slash cleancomedytime. Click the message button and record what you want to say. Thanks again, and we look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back. Uh, Rick, thank you so much uh, for sharing the first half. Every time you uh, start talking about comedy, you just you just can't help it. You just uh, just just outflow of pouring of wisdom and, and insights and all kinds of good stuff. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, uh, now I get to take over. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. And in the second half, we usually get a little bit uh, deeper than the first half. Uh, some people uh, like it. Some people get scared by it. Other people <laughs> uh, uh, just hang up the, the phone and, and run. But, That's uh, mostly me, though. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the second half, we like to get into uh, things that are going well and even things that, uh, that people might be struggling with. Uh, so what uh, would you say is going well for you right now, Rick? Oh, you know, just bookings in general are are up. Demand is up. Calendars is where it needs to be. Shows where it needs to be. I, I probably um, the rest of the year. I think I may only have two corporate events where I'm a speaker. The rest are all stand up events. So I'll be able to focus more on my act and not have to switch gears too much, uh, which is fun. I don't mind switching gears. In fact, I, I like having. I have three speeches and and the comedy show. So I have four different things I can offer somebody. Um, but comedy is by far the, I wouldn't say the easiest, maybe it is the easiest. There's less prep cause I've done it for 30 years. There's no tech, uh, extra things. I got to get there and sound check or do any kind of PowerPoint or that kind of stuff. So, you know, the, the events are right where I like them to be at the end of the year where I can start really honing the material and hopefully get some kind of recording going in the spring of a new, a new set, new show, new CD. Yeah. Yeah. And I know earlier you were talking about, uh, you know, kind of that slingshot effect of people, you know, when things started opening up, there was just an increased demand, but what would you attribute that, uh, that success to those, those bookings? Well, you know, it's kind of a combination of things, uh, half, I wouldn't say half, maybe a third of the things I'm a calendar for the rest of the year are things that I was booked for last year or the year before, but they had to cancel because of COVID protocols or whatever. And then the rest are two thirds are new bookings. So it's, it's partially that, you know, there's some extra stuff in there because it wasn't there when it should have been. Um, and then I, I think I know for sure that the movie's given me some more visibility. People have found me uh, from the movie and then found out that I did stand up and have hired me to come in and do the comedy show before the movie comes on at their theater. So that's kind of been an interesting, different thing this year. Um, 
And then I think the rest of it's just I, I didn't stop creating content for the internet and updating my website and all that kind of stuff that, uh, you know, every three or four years, your website looks out of date and you need to make sure it runs on mobile and all those kinds of things. So when you put your Google ad up, it makes sense to Google that they should send somebody there. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you talked about the, um, the shows that were rescheduled and, you know, that must've been, uh, a, a pretty, a pretty difficult thing to navigate. You know, how do you, uh, allow a cancellation and maintain that relationship so that when things do get started up again, uh, you can get back in there and, and give them what they, what they wanted there. Yeah, that was definitely uncharted territory. There was, I think, and in the 30 years I've been doing it, maybe a handful of cancellations, you know, due to, there was like a tornado one time and a blizzard, but less than five that I could think of. And then <laughs> when COVID hit by, Within two months of March, so April, May, when people realized what it was, I had 115 events wiped off the schedule. Wow. So, I mean, it was just gone. And I'm like, whoops. And, you know, with all, with all those people, we, we decided, yeah, if we can reschedule it, that's great. I'll hold the deposit. You know, if you end up canceling the event, we can talk about it. And, you know, I made sure I, I wasn't in a spot where I could not return deposits if they absolutely needed it. You know, some of these nonprofits and fundraisers, uh, that was money that they could use for good. So I made sure they got it back if that was the case. Some oh. never got rescheduled. And, and sadly, I think three that I know of, maybe a fourth, you know, my primary contact at these different events passed away because of COVID and COVID complications. So oh, wow. that mm. was just like boom, boom, boom. Uh, in the first month, I didn't mind – because I was like, I really needed a break at that point. Didn't realize that I'd been doing it for 30 years without a break. Huh. And then the, the next month, like April or May, I'm like, oh boy, what am I going to do here? What am I going to do? And since this is the part where we get a little bit deeper, I, I can share this with you. So I, I was praying about it. And at one point, was even thinking like, should I readjust my tithe at church? Because there's really nothing coming in here aside from some royalties and some things like that. But there's no, it's definitely different, you know. Yeah. And I hadn't made a decision on that yet. And then maybe a day or two after I had that thought, my um, music publisher who publishes all my comedy CDs and stuff called me and said, hey, you don't know this because I didn't, didn't want to tell you and get your hopes up. We've been part of a class action lawsuit. Somebody's been using our entire – my publisher's entire library of recordings, including my comedy stuff, for 10 years wow. and had been – you know, other in other people's too. I think there were seven different companies that were publishers that this guy had been ripping off, and so they had formed this class action lawsuit, sued him, settled, and he said, uh, "I've got a check for you down at the office if you want to drive down and pick it up." I said, "You can just put it in the mail." He goes, "You probably want to pick this one up and take it right to the bank." I'm like, "Really?" He was like, "Yeah." I asked him how much, and it was within three dollars of what I'd made the entire year before. Wow! wow. Like, you know, that's that's something that's so incredible. You know, here's here's this this time in your career where you hit an an unscheduled pause, and again, like you said, for initially it's like, wow, uh, everything's changed, and I haven't taken a break in thirty years. But then the fear comes in. You know, what do I do? And uh, and and then and then you're just covered and you're taken care of. That's that's awesome. Yeah, and no, you know what. Every time I say it, I, I want to be sure people understand. I'm not saying I didn't do anything. That was all God stepping in and my publisher stepping in and confluence of however that all works. And 
and I just had to receive it. And then that obviously took a lot of stress out of the situation. And I, I, I just, you know, kind of made a, a deal in my head that anything that came up that I can help out with any charities, any kind of volunteer time, whatever I can do now that I'm covered financially, even though I was covered spiritually already, um, yeah. I made an extra effort to, to go out of my way to help other people and uh, take advantage of the, the time that I wasn't traveling and invest that in my family and, and things here locally. So, um, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, as you mentioned, you were able to reinvest that time with your family. You were able to give back because uh, you had more time on your hands. And you also kind of uh, uh, reinvented some other creative outlets, right? Didn't you get into painting? Yeah. So th- this is funny. The, the first thing, there was like a, a series of things I did once I realized I had time. So the first thing I did was in January of, of 2019, I had done a, a new class called the Master Laughter class where I helped speakers add humor to their content. And we done a, had done a live uh, series a weekend and I had all that videotape. So I took all that and made it uh, an online thing. I never would have had time to offer that online and, and put that together if I'd been working a regular traveling schedule. So that was the first thing I did. Um, did some extra fun things with the family and things like that. Went and redid my website, got all new photos, all those kinds of things. But then once I kind of got caught up a little bit, I'm like, you know what? I'm sitting around the house. I got some time. I used to paint when I was in college. A little bit after I got out of college, I painted and sold a few things. I'm going to get back into that and see if I still have it or interested in it. And so I started cranking out the old paintings again. And uh, shortly after that, you know, the winter was over, spring hit, and I thought, man, I'm going to exercise. i got to get in better shape. So I started riding a bike and, uh, you know, dropped, I don't know, 20, 25 pounds of fat, started burning muscle, <laughs> started <laughs> backing off a little bit. But well, a, and, you know, and when you say you started riding a bike, I, I mean, what, what's your longest ride? A hundred miles. A hundred miles. Yeah, yeah I've done, done that three times. And uh, I get tired when I drive a hundred miles. So <laughs> yeah, I know. Sometimes I got to get off the bike and sit in the car for a minute just to, you know, <laughs> get stiff. Yeah. I suppose if there's a car chasing you, though, you tend to stay out in front of it. You know what? Here's here's the, here's the reality. I I can average seventeen and a half miles for a, an hour for a hundred miles. If I'm just doing an hour, I can do on a flat surface i can do you know 22 23 miles an hour and if i'm going downhill uh, don't tell my wife i'm going to whisper this but <laughs> i've got up to 58 miles an hour going downhill and boy that feels great <laughs> i'll yeah. bet yeah it's incredible <laughs> but yeah having all that free time uh, which I don't have anymore. It's all dialed back, so I have to be more uh, meticulous with my scheduling, which, which I know we rescheduled this four or five times because things kept interrupting it. Um, but it's made me just more aware of time and, and the scarcity of it or the reality of it and and be more purposeful with what I do and how long I do it and where I, I go and how long I stay and all that kind of stuff. Well, well I mean, there's a couple things about you that, that just uh... – just come through just loud and clear. I mean, one, you are very intentional. You know, it, it seems like uh, the things that you get involved with, um, you are 100% plugged in. You you decide what you're going to be doing, and then you're all in on it. Is that fair to say? I try to be, and then I also try to 
have some days where I don't worry about any of that. You know, Sunday to me is a real family day, and I try to make sure that uh, we're all together as much of the day as we can. And if I'm home on a you know a day where the kids are at school, my wife's working or whatever, I might uh, schedule some time just to kind of goof off and and free up my brain a little bit. But yeah, I try to be intentional. I tell you, the one thing I've really tried to do since uh, we've been able to get back out at things is make sure that when I go to different cities where I have some friends to let them know that, hey, I might have a couple hours before the show starts or after it's over if you want to come to the show, but let's see each other because I've, you know, I've lost some friends in the past year and a half from this stupid virus. So I want to make sure that I don't waste an opportunity to catch up with somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's so apparent in just who you are and your character. I mean, you talked about it with your family earlier when you were talking about the, uh, um, the comedy clubs, you know, you have, you have shown a pattern of sacrificing some career things to have that time with your family and to have those relationships. And, you know, I've seen you interacting with the folks at the, uh, Christian comedy association and, uh, you know, the role that you played with there. Um, you know, you, you're a giver, you know, you're a giver when it comes to relationship and it's so genuine. It's, it's, it's good. I know, um, I know with me in particular, uh, you know, a, a while back, uh, uh, you were going to be in Grand Rapids and you called up and, and we're like, Hey, let's get together and let's report, record a podcast in person. Now come to find out you were actually going to be in Grand Rapids. Uh, <laughs> uh, was it Minnesota or Oh, oh yeah. yeah. There was one time where I wasn't intentional about uh, asking enough questions. <laughs> I got, got booked to be in Grand Rapids. I didn't know there was another Grand Rapids on the planet. I didn't even look that close at the contract. I just knew it was Grand Rapids in the middle of February. And then I book a flight and uh, the contact says, what time's your flight getting that check? And he's like, I, I don't see that on the on their website. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he's like you're, you're not flying into Minnesota, are you? I said, no. He goes, well, you should be because uh, you should be flying into Minneapolis because we're like two hours from there. I'm like, what? And so not only did I have to buy a ticket at a much higher price the, yeah. the day before, <laughs> but um, yeah, we couldn't get together for the podcast either. Yeah. We, we did it remotely. It, it, it all worked out. I, yeah. I, I, I think you should have had them move the show to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Well, yeah. You want to hear the Seriously. funny thing about that story is – so I, I do that. I reschedule. I get the new ticket. I'm at the airport in St. Louis making the connection flight, and they shut down the Minneapolis airport. Oh. And so I can't even get there after oh, I've paid no. a crazy amount of stress and everything. And then I have to call the client and go, by the way, I'm there, my flight's not going to take off from here. And so I had to get, uh, I think it was Darren Strebla who lives up in that area to fill in for me. Oh, but wow. it was Yeah, it was a complete wash with that whole thing. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yeah, well, boy, we're not even to the you know what's a struggle <laughs> segment yet. And <laughs> well, it's it's travel arrangements there, Aaron. That's that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, well, travel yeah. is a struggle. I, I would say if there's one uh, professional nuisance, it's it's that you know, and things are harder. Everything in the airport and that surround it, and hotels are you know they're suffering from a lack of employees. Uh, People that took an early buyout when the COVID hit the airlines and the rental car companies and stuff thought that was a way to handle the situation, but they can't, couldn't get people to come back and fill those positions. So uh, it's just it's just insane. I will just say, like in the past week, 
there's been two cases where I've landed at the airport. I've got a rental car scheduled. I go to the desk and either there's nobody there. And so they had to close the desk early and I can't rent a car or there's no cars there. Um, oh. And so I have to Uber from Philadelphia to Atlantic city Ooh, instead of renting my car. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> here I am in a, in a car with a stranger who's coughing and, uh, no, nah, the windows cracked, but you know, an yeah. extra and, and that's why you travel with and, your bike. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I, yep. I could have just rode up there, man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but every step of the way, you, you know, you got to give these people grace because they're whoever is at work. They're the ones working. It's not their fault that the 10 other people didn't show up to make the job happen, but it's, that's been frustrating. Yesterday, my bag didn't come back with me. They went, they, I landed in Nashville. They went, wanted my bag to go to Baltimore for some reason. So I didn't get it back until <laughs> almost midnight last night after flying back. And just, well, well, and I, I, I've seen your uh, pre-show checklist because, of, of course, one of the things that uh, that you offer to aspiring comedians if, if, through the Club 52 if uh, for a nominal, what if, what if they give – I think it's $7 a month um, through Patreon sponsorship. You basically open up your, your book of secrets that you've learned over 30 years and just, just give people everything. And one of the things that you give there is your pre-show checklist that uh, you've got redundancies in there. So that uh, uh, in in the case of lost luggage, in the case of uh, uh, glasses being lost, you've, you've just got backup plan upon backup plan. Yeah, you know, a lot of that just comes from going through it once and thinking, I hope I never have to go through this or anybody else. So I put together a little little list of ways to, to make things a little bit easier the next time around. But I'm always happy to share that with people that are invested in getting better at comedy for sure. Well, good stuff. Glad to hear that uh, those things are going well for you, even though some of the travel can be tough. But uh, outside of that, Rick, what what are you struggling with right now? I, I think, again, it's just managing time the right way, making sure, because I am kind of a, a giver uh, personality. And I will say now, there was definitely a decade, like I said earlier, where I was pretty selfish and was probably the worst person around that you'd want to meet. But um I do try to accommodate a lot of requests and different things. So I got to make sure that I balance that all out. And it's kind of a gut feeling on most of that. You can't just write it down on a piece of paper and go, Oh, there's the problem. So it's just a matter of, you know, I used to, to offer like 10 hours of coaching a month for people that wanted to do that. And I can really only do three or four. And I, I felt bad about dialing that back, but I realized it's what I got to do so I can take the hours I do have at home with the family and that kind of stuff. Um, that's that's the big thing right now. I think is just the balance, which is always always the case. Nothing's ever perfectly balanced. You want to make sure. Sometimes you got to go really hard at a goal to get it, and then when that's taken care of, you should give yourself a break and take care of things that maybe took took backseat for a little while while you did that. But you never want anything to lag too far behind for too long. Yeah, well, I mean, like I was noticing or commenting on earlier. I mean, you are a giver. Uh, you're a driven person, and and Rick, I. I mean, I've personally received an incredible amount from you, you know, I mean, more than, you know, you, you've just played an incredible role in my comedic journey. And also just as a, as a mentor on, on even as basic as just how does a Christian man act? You know, you, you've, you've modeled that for me, but at the same time, you know, there is 
a, a danger to that. You know, right. if, if you're an achiever, if you're a giver, the, and the danger is that you don't end up with any time for, for Rick. You know, and, and when I say Rick, I mean the things that are important to you, your family, uh, the close relationships, rest, uh, recuperation. You know, you, you could potentially be at risk of just burning that candle till there's nothing left. And man, you're too valuable. You, oh. you are too great of a person to let yourself uh, be driven to the point of exhaustion. So, man, I would I would encourage you to just give yourself permission to continue to take those Sundays like you talked about. And, you know, be willing to, to say no. Yeah, well, thanks. I mean, I'm glad I've had some kind of uh, impact with you and whoever else out there. Um, but yeah, you know, keeping your batteries recharged and making sure you don't get too far off the path you want to stay on. You know, all those things are just, that's just life in general. That's whether you're a comic or whatever, you know, it's just stuff we all go through. So it's just a matter of pacing yourself and your, your body is a pretty good, uh, voice. If you listen to it, it'll tell you when you need to slow down a little bit. Mm. Yeah, you were talking about when you were bike riding. It sounds like your body was telling you you might have been pushing that a bit too too hard. <laughs> it's funny. Like, uh, there's definitely times where the exercise. I mean, I think the real blessing behind riding the bike and, and people, if you jog or run or whatever you do, if you go fishing, it's all that that stress free. Um, it's it's mentally healthy for sure to get out and ride a bike or do anything outside to get the vitamin D, you get the fresh air, you get the nature, you have less electronics and all those things. So that's been a super thing to, even though it physically can drain you a little bit, mentally it's a super recharge. I mean, I get kind of antsy if I don't exercise, you know, if I go a day without it, then I get really twitchy. I need to get outside and do something. But, um, you know, there was even a study I read, I think it was maybe a month ago about mountain biking. So, if you don't have um, a ton of time, but you still want to get a good workout, you know, finding a, a woods that has a trail or a mountain bike path near you is great. And they actually started recommending this to uh, COVID patients. Doctors would recommend this as exercise because you have so much mental stress from the disease. Or even people that haven't got the disease, but they've just been have to deal with the results of it in general. Like when you mountain bike, you can't think about anything else besides not crashing the whole time you're making micro <laughs> decisions you know millions of decisions a minute of where to turn how, where to put your weight all this stuff and that totally frees a big chunk of your brain that's been worrying all day about something or stressing out about something and it's it just uh, recharge is really the best word even though i've said it 10 times already it, it replenishes it, it it fills the well that was empty throughout the day yeah, so I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about there. My wife, Renee, and I, we love uh, backpacking. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And it, it's kind of the same thing. It's it's a whole bunch of micro decisions. You know, just it, just from each planting of the foot, you know, watching for roots and, and, and deciding, you know, what, what line to take, you know, and, and all this stuff. It's just this series of micro decisions that is so calming and, and, uh, and healing. Uh, and then, and then also like, I remember one time recently when we were out backpacking and, uh, our, all of our socks got wet, you know, the socks we were wearing and the two backup pair of socks, uh, everything was wet. And we just, uh, set up our tarps and draped socks over them and just, 
we're sitting there watching socks dry. <laughs> right. Like, and it sounds so stupid, but man, something about just being in the calm, uh, serene environment and just watching socks dry. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's 100% right. You, you can't, you know, especially if you're out in the woods and, and whether it's walking, backpacking, hiking, riding a bike or whatever. I mean, that's, that's kind of where we were placed first on the planet, probably no. for a reason. Yeah. Um, as long as your wife doesn't pick an apple, things are pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but yeah, there's definitely a reason why, why that feels so good to us. Cause that's what, that's where we're supposed to be. You know, yeah. we've, we've built all this other stuff up because we think that's what things are and it's become that, but anything outside, even in the colder weather, like today it was probably 40 when I went for a bike ride, but that, you know, you dress right. But that, that crisp air on your face, it's just like, ah, this is, this is great. You can't get to sitting on a couch or at a desk. Yeah, for sure. Well, Rick, thank you for sharing uh, all of those thoughts with us. Um, the How important it is to, to have your life balanced like that. Um, but as we seek more balance in our lives, if somebody wanted to find you and uh, bring you on as a, a corporate entertainer, speaker, uh, I, I know you're not doing much in the way of club shows, but, um, or they just want to, you know, subscribe to the podcast. What, what's your favorite way for people to get a hold of you? If they're looking for the comedian speaker, Rick Roberts, then go to rikroberts.com. If they want to learn more about, uh, comedy itself or find out about the podcast, you can go to schooloflast.com. And then if you want to find out about that movie, mayberrymanmovie.com is where you go for all the Barney Five stuff. Rick, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the Clean County Time podcast. It's been terrific talking with you. I've had a good time, man. I was looking forward to it. I knew it would go by fast, and it did. Uh, I'm glad we finally got it scheduled and, and had a chance to do it. Thanks for listening to the Clean Comedy Time podcast. We bring comedians together performing their clean material at showcases, fundraisers, and other events. Our shows are free from course language and topics. They work for anyone, anywhere. Check out cleancomedytime.com to find an upcoming show or to bring Clean Comedy Time to you.